0: Warning. The following podcast contains two morons talking about sophisticated subject matter, like ninus and hoo ha's. Also, a few whoopsie daisies and at least one house or ante. If you don't have a strong stomach, you know where the door is. Right. On with the shenanigans then. The podcast which you are about to hear is an account of the tragedy which befell two washed-up losers. In particular, Court Psyops and his immature co-host, Matt. It was all the more tragic in that they were uncultured morons, but had they lived very, very full lives, they could not have expected nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad, and macabre, as they were to see each week. For them, an idiotic podcast show became a nightmare. The events of each week were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history Cinema Psyops with Court and Matt. What is
1: Psyops?
2: PSYOPs for psychological operations is very simply the art of influencing how people feel and think, and ultimately how they behave and what they do. You don't have to defeat the enemy on the battlefield. It's better if you can convince the enemy to do what you want him to do without having to fight him, and that's
0: really the intent behind PSYOPs, to convince people to do what you want them to do.
1: So how does psyop fit into what's happening now?
2: The two points I'd like to make with you and the audience is that first and foremost, psyop stays live. The second thing I'd like to say: a lot of people have misconception about psyop. They think it's something deviant and brainwashing.
1: you don't know exactly what's going on right now but we do know that there are some psyops going on right
2: ma'am i don't know cinema
1: psyops and i believe with all of my heart that it is a contributing factor to our juvenile delinquency of today why i believe that is because i know how it feeds i know what it does to
0: you cinema psyops they think it's something devious and brainwashing
2: Welcome to the 261st and the very first official episode of year six of this stupid fucking show that is Cinema Psyops. It's the show that just won't fucking stop. No matter how much you beg, no matter how many safe words you try to throw our way, every week we're gonna throw something out at you just like this. <laughs> I'm Cortez, said at the intro, and joining me all the way across. Across town in the bunker is Matt. Yeah,
3: no safe words. <laughs> there, or if there is one, it's it's got a lot of vowels and constants in it. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> it's banana. Like, yeah, banana. <laughs> but like, we won't understand you by saying banana because we won't remove the ball gag.
2: I would like to just fully state that uh, we do 100% endorse the usage of safe words to make sure that everyone is safe at all times. I was just kind of playing it around. Always
3: follow a safe word. You, if you don't follow a safe word, you. You are a, a, the biggest dick.
2: You also should negotiate ahead of time any kind of scene that's going to involve something like that. But we're not yeah. here to tell you how to have sex. We're just saying do it that's safely a and get show. consent. That's a
3: different show. Right. <laughs> There's plus, other
2: shows that do that. Plus, we're in no way, shape, or form capable of telling you the right way to have sex because we've been doing it wrong for about 40 years each. Right? No doubt. <laughs> well, not really I a mean, whole 40 I mean, years. I mean, it you did know. go wrong
3: for me, but I can't so much say anything for the, you know, my partners at all.
2: <laughs> Matt's uh, lovemaking style is, well, I got mine. I'll see you later.
3: <laughs> my lovemaking style is, sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Your just style of life in general is, sorry.
3: sorry. <laughs> totally <laughs> didn't mean it, to do that. Actually, actually, my style of life is 50-50, sorry, and come on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Come this, on! This is a momentous occasion. This is six years of weekly episodic releases without missing a week. Yes. We start the sixth year of this, and after that, I uh, will see.
3: Yeah. <laughs> leave everybody hanging.
2: <laughs> Honestly, after that,
3: can do this anymore. And after that,
4: sorry, or.
2: Come on. <laughs> yeah, everybody want to take this on the seventh year. We'll we'll see if there's a, f- actually like a means of being able to release podcasts. I mean yeah. the world is fucking falling apart. Good thing Pretty. we don't have to rely on the postal service here at Cinema PsyOps to get you episodes every week.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no shit. Uh we're fucked, man. We're really we're really fucked. But at least we have a great movie this week. Like, <laughs> what a culture shock from the last like month. <laughs>
2: There is no mistake as to why I chose Citizen X to start off year six after the Andy Sedaris Film Fest.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is serious. This is a a platitude of excellent actors. Uh, in a in a real studio type movie, this
2: is this is really everything you could want. Oddly enough, it's a made for cable movie for HBO.
3: Yeah, it's by I mean And before HBO became the standard bearer in content,
2: they made the occasional made for HBO movie here and there. And there's a couple of them that they really made some real. Excellent pieces of entertainment. Mm -hmm. This just so happens to also be the Asylum Films' first film, or like one of their earliest fucking films before they became like the Sharknado shit fest that they are now known for. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were partially responsible for the production of this film. It was Citadel Entertainment. Asylum Films and HBO. Now, it so happens that I am cursed to love several movies that were HBO-made films, which means that you can only get them in the States on DVD. Sometimes you can find them elsewhere in the world on Blu-ray. But if you want to get a high-def print of any of the stuff that was HBO Films, you got to have a subscription or you got to resort to piracy. Oh,
3: okay. I got
2: you. Some of us have done both.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I'm
2: sure. Now, I watched the HD transfer of this through, let's just say, less than uh, legal means that I was able to acquire this. Okay, I'll I'll just fucking say it. I recorded it off of HBO
3: (laughs) (laughs) in HD. Um, of course.
2: Now, what you got is the copy from my DVD that I bought ages and ages ago of this film. But if you have like a subscription for HBO or a preview for HBO or HBO Max or any of that kind of stuff, you can see this film, Citizen X, in high def and it looks amazing and it sounds great. It's really well put together. The DVD is just passable. So any of the complaints that you would have about audio and visual quality from your review that's about to happen all goes back to the DVD. I just wanted to preface that up front. And also admit that I'm stealing stuff still. Oh, okay. I got (laughs) you.
3: I, uh, I, 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 and even then anything like that didn't bother me at all. It really didn't. Um, I, I can't say no. I really enjoyed this film. I really did. I, I'm burying it right now.
2: So sorry. (laughs) See, when you, when you bury the lead, you actually are trying to hide what you're trying to say.
3: Uh Oh, I'm not burying the lead here. I'm, I'm full on
2: exhuming the lead. (laughs) You are clickbaiting the lead is actually what you're doing right now. There you go. That's what I'm doing. This one weird (laughs) trick Matt Syop learned about Citizen X, number six (laughs) will shock you. It it makes doctors angry.
3: (laughs) Doctors don't want you to know this about Citizen X.
2: (laughs) Insurance companies hate this one man from Omaha, Nebraska after he watched Citizen X. (laughs) Fuck you, Matt. (laughs) That was totally an accident, but that's perfect. (laughs) I mean,
3: fuck, that might be but like real shit right there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I totally fucking hit a button by accident. and It just so happened to be the right one. That's fucking amazing. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> alright, so we're both in good moods We've got good momentum going Let's just yeah. fucking roll forward with this uh, we're, gonna start with the, we're gonna start with the Legion Go Me promo We'll have a little bit of music That I was pre-playing to tease Matt On what the year six theme might actually be Because that was fun for me
3: <laughs> That one, I was like,
2: hey alright, I'm grooving to this That's not it, motherfucker, what do you want from me? <laughs> and then when we come back We will have a promo thing From Citizen X, I think I, I guess, I don't know all what right. this is
0: cool This is Beau from LegionPodcasts.com. Hey, it's been a crazy time, and when the world gets nuts, we're happy to offer some old-fashioned podcast entertainment. But for some folks, getting a laugh out of a show isn't really helping these days. People who depend on tips in their bartending jobs or have been put on furlough with no pay till the worst of this coronavirus threat has passed. That's a tough spot. That's why we set up a GoFundMe for members of our community, a sort of grand-scale take a penny, leave a penny. For people like myself, for whom the recent disruptions haven't kicked us out of work, well, we can drop a few of those extra pennies in the GoFundMe jar. For those who are directly affected by recent events, and find themselves looking for money to pay the electric bill or keep the water on, well, how about you give me a shout at bo, B-O, at legionpodcasts.com. Let me know the situation and what you need, and we'll do our best to make life a little easier. And you can find links to the GoFundMe on the front page of legionpodcasts.com, on our Facebook group page, or on Twitter at legionpodcasts, where it's the pinned tweet. For those of you who are able, thanks in advance for chipping In. And members of our community who need a hand, hey, here we are. Remember, stay safe, stay healthy, and we're all going to get through this together. Legion isn't just a name, it's who we are. Thanks for listening to all the shows here on Legion Podcasts, and we'll talk to you soon.
2: That's fine. The royalty-free music is uh, not working how I want it. It's kind of hard to pick music that fits for a Russian cannibal serial killer. I
3: think it's working just fine. I I think. (laughs) Don't worry about it. You're you're doing the Lord's work here. (laughs) I am most certainly not. You're doing uh, the Dark Lord's work here.
2: I am also not doing that unless I am Uh, the Dark Lord in question because the work that I'm doing is the work of Court Psyops. Oh, I was talking about Voldemort. (laughs) We don't say his name.
3: Oh, sorry. <laughs> Forgot. Fuck. Uh, uh, never mind. Nothing. <laughs>
5: yeah, Fuck it.
4: I'm you playing can't the tell trailer. Me. Shut up. You... No. The crimes were violent.
5: There's a maniac out there. Fuck, Fuck this
4: insolence. The nation was shocked. We need you to accost anyone who stops to talk to a young woman. Understand? Yes, I'm
2: sure.
6: But in the Soviet Union, we have a serial killer on our hands. There are no serial killers in the Soviet state. The truth can get buried. I have a suspect. Are you aware that your prisoner is a member of the Communist Party?
4: And a madman can get away with murder. He picks
6: up
5: young people on the trains.
7: Let him go. We are the people who have to catch this monster.
4: You and I.
5: What you mean is that it's up to me now.
4: One man must go.
5: If I fail, I'll be dangling out there by myself.
4: Against the rules. You care about nothing but making your superiors happy. Against the odds. Replace him. No. Against the clock. I'd like to try to help.
6: We're gonna fail. It won't be because of something we left undone.
4: Because the only way to stop the killing. I want two hundred soldiers here prepared to search these woods in one hour. Is to break the system. The kill. A murder. The man is what he fights for. Stephen Ray, Donald Sutherland, Max von Citizen X, a true story beyond belief.
2: I purposely told you jack shit about this movie and just quietly snuck it into the drive to be viewed and then also just added it to the list because I was kind of hoping that it would hit you the way that I feel like it did. So mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was great. Hey, Citizen X. I did this again in in 20 minute increments.
3: I, I liked that style once I got used to it. So I thought, why not? Let's give it a
2: shot. All right. I want to um, do it a little bit differently this time around. I want you to do the description of the 20-minute block, and I will try not to interrupt you for anything unless I want to agree or concur with a thought. And then we will discuss that 20 minutes, and then we'll move on to the next block and try it that way this time around.
3: Okay. All right. Let's do it. All right. So, Cinemas and Synod X. We in the first 20-minute block, we begin... Um, uh, the russian countryside and a farmer's uh fucking doing a lot of shit with his he's tending his field and he finds a dead body uh so then we see a uh coroner and uh a cop comes in and um he's trying to leave the cop is but the coroner forensic expert guy tells him no you know go back out in the field get more evidence like you know really kind of bashing his predecessor in the moment as well and so when they do that they find numerous dead bodies so then our forensic expert he records his findings of all these dead bodies and that's our first clip
5: violent blow to the back of the skull multiple stab wounds to the face On the second body, as many as 17 stab wounds to the face and eyes, along with striations of the eye sockets. 26 wounds to the chest and breakage, suggesting 32 stab wounds with additional disfigurement to the breasts, 43 stab wounds to the face along with traces of semen. On the sixth victim, the penis has been removed approximately 2.3 centimeters above the junction with some additional disfigurement of the genital area some additional disfigurement, some additional disfigurement. Additional disfigurement of a nature that suggests not so much a sharp instrument as teeth. Yesterday, the men of the Rostov militia unearthed eight bodies in differing stages of decomposition. And you brought the odors of the grave into
7: the room with us as an olfactory aid? How clever. (laughs) I assume the time you devoted to their examination was the time you couldn't spare to get cleaned up. Next time, a little less diligence and a little more hygiene.
5: In the rather poorly kept files of my predecessor, I found records of seven other bodies. If you don't mind, comrade, I would like
7: to start by introducing you to the members of the committee. General Ivanov. Head of KGB for the Rostov Oblast. Comrade Dunyakov. Comrade Tietjevsky, our Mayor. Comrade Ignatiev, And, of course, Comrade Bondarchuk, Secretary for Ideology of the Oblast Communist Party. I am Colonel Fatisov. I am in charge of the militia, of which your office is a small part. I am also Secretary of this committee. Gentlemen, This is comrade Burakov, he is our new forensics expert. They are a breed of men who work in basements, and chemistry sets. And one can hardly blame them for looking a little startled when they come out into the light.
5: Comrade, please, begin. It's clear that we have a serial killer on our hands, already the most prolific in Russian history. We'll have to take extreme methods to stop
8: him. Did he say a serial killer? We understood there were wide discrepancies between the wounds inflicted. That's what you told us, Colonel. And both boys and girls. It could be two different men. It could be a gang.
6: There are no serial killers in the Soviet state.
7: Well, that sounds more like wishful thinking than a... It is a decadent Western. Phenomena. <clears throat> Gentlemen, that's all we have for now. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules. I'll keep you abreast of in developments, no pun intended. <laughs> Welcome to the halls of power.
5: My God, no wonder
7: nothing gets done. In this case, it will. Why? Because you will be in charge. What? You're in charge of the case. In fact, of the entire department, as we technically don't have one yet. We have a division of most serious crimes. But we'll put you in charge of the killer department.
5: The killer department. But I'm not even a detective. I'm a forensics man. Haven't you always wanted to be a detective?
7: Well, yes. Good. Then you're in charge. Start by making lists of the manpower and the logistical support you think you may require. Then outline the general approach to beginning the investigation. Report back to me tomorrow. Good
5: day. Is there something else? Uh, Forgive me, but uh, we reached the top of the regional apartment list in forensics, my wife and two kids. We've qualified for a two bedroom. We've been waiting for seven years. If I take the new job, Do I lose my seniority?
7: I personally guarantee that you will get the next two-bedroom apartment that becomes available in Rostov. All right? Now, go home and tell your wife about your
2: promotion. Yes, sir. Five minutes and 21 seconds of a clip. Jesus.
3: I, I was going to tell you, some of these clips are a bit longer, but this is a different movie, man, than we've had in a while. So, sorry. <laughs> um, so, anyway. Uh, so, now, Berkaroff goes home, and he talks to his wife about the case. And while they're talking, it, I, something I found really interesting in this is that the TV is playing about how America is a cesspool of crime because heroin addiction is on every street, and you, you can tell very much a, a propaganda-type state to to run this.
2: Yeah, that would never happen here in the United
3: oh, States. Oh, oh I, keep, settle it down. Of course it happens here. I'm just going off this movie right
2: now, all right? <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> that isn't course course what our news has here. dwindled down to lately.
3: Yeah, yeah. well, it was, it was that way in, back then, too. We had our own propaganda back there. Um, so um we then cut to um, a uh, man is following this young girl in the woods and he kills her as uh, like a little girl before returning back to home uh
2: Burke I, I disagree he's not following her he's actually leading her out there by the yeah hand. he's
3: leading her uh, he's just what I meant to say was he was behind her but yeah he definitely led her out there no little girls out that far on her own he
2: let her out there to be alone with her and then as he was gearing up to do what it is he was really wanting to do when he let her out there there. Yeah. He let her go ahead of him, and then yes. sh- then he like hit her in the head with a rock from behind, and then stabbed the ever-loving shit out of her body. Yeah,
3: he, he killed her real fucking bad.
2: Um, this film had very few edits when it was released overseas in Britain, and mostly they cut down the number of stabbings, because it goes on to an uncomfortable level, and uh, the actor who is playing the killer in this, he's quite good at what he does. You, you'll see him later on oh, in a bunch of other stuff. like He's, a bunch in,
3: of- he's in a ton of stuff. I mean, I, I I recognize him.
2: Yeah, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he became like one of the actors, Frank Darabont's Darlings, one of those actors. He ended up playing um, the RV guy from the Walking Dead TV show when Darabont first yeah. created that. Yes, yes. He was um, Dale. Yes, Dale is the guy's name. I couldn't think of it off the top of my yeah. head. It's been so long since I gave a shit about the earlier parts of Walking Dead. Same. It's,
3: <laughs> it's been a long time since I've given a shit about the Walking Dead. <laughs>
2: I care about the comics still because I'm going oh, through okay. that now. But
3: anyway. Yeah, I, I guess the TV is what I'm talking about. So,
2: But this, he's a very talented actor, which is one of the very. reasons why he's one of Frank Darabont's darlings. And he's in a ton of Stephen King he's adaptations a, bec- for the same reason.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like he was on the Green Mile, all that kind of stuff. Right.
2: And there is a sequence here where he is doing the stabbing. They do a pretty good job of the way that he lays over top of her while he's doing it, of making it, I don't want to say sexualized because he's stabbing a little girl, but you can tell that he's deriving that type of pleasure if they play uh, that out I on space. I mean,
3: unfortunately that's exactly what it was though. He derived that sort of pleasure. Right. So, so and the he, actors he did a great job.
2: In, in the way that the actor is holding his body while he's doing the stabbing and the way that he is shuddering and reacting to it as he's doing it, you can tell that that's clearly what he's trying to portray. And I think he's doing an excellent job there. I just wanted to comment on that.
3: Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, Again, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, So uh, we see our new detective. He goes and starts informing family members and while questioning them. He finds out a lot of these kids are either were, like, last seen, like, runaways at train stations or that they like to ride the train even just for fun. So, he's finding out a common denominator with a lot of the victims was the train stations. Um See here. Uh, so, he goes to tell his boss. Uh, uh about all these things that he's finding out but then uh, another cop comes in and you can tell he has coached a confession for the murders from a gypsy so now they think it's all over um also in this 20 minutes then after that the killer because he's spent so much time killing he's missed deadlines at work and actually gets really admonished and called out in front of his peers because he's not any good uh you're they he stopped work for a day i'm sorry yeah so he had to suffer that embarrassment
2: he destroyed their supply chain because he's yeah. been doing what he's been doing and therefore the Instead punishment was everyone got to know that this guy is the one it's his fault why yeah. none of them get to work today
3: and then uh the first 20 minutes ends with him killing uh another kid so uh probably out of all the stress that he was just under. So that is the first 20 minutes. All
2: right, so we need to talk a little bit about the character in the movie versus the real guy in real life a little bit. Okay. Uh, Andre Chikatilo is a real human being who did in fact kill. What they were able to pin on him is 52 is the number that they're saying here, but after this movie was over with, um, they found out that he did significantly more. He's over 60 and he is the longest running, most prolific uh, cannibal, sexual sadist type killer, um, serial killer that we know of as far as the body count that they can confirm. Yeah. There, there are pe- people like Gacy and some other folks that are claiming larger numbers than him or more kills him.
3: But these are confirmed. Him.
2: These are all confirmed and part you of the... You can't
3: confirm Gacy's.
2: Or Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, they worked together and they were the basis for Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. They're numbers are pretty fucking insane on their own because they were basically just driving around the country or just traveling around the country loafing around the country and going on killing sprees that way um and the numbers that they bragged up or said that they were possible for or confessed to got to be ridiculous and at some point there were folks in texas that were just having people come to talk to henry lee and he would confess to things for a milkshake so they could close the books on it and they didn't have to look for a murder. So he got equated to a lot of things that he didn't even do. But yeah. the, the important point to make here is the reason that Chikatilo was able to work the way that he was for as long as he was, it wasn't that he was as good as what he does you know, at not getting caught. It just so happened that Russia was not prepared to investigate this type of killing because well, it didn't work in their favor. They didn't have it's this. All,
3: yeah, it's all political. I mean, it's the reason his numbers are so astounding he could have been caught very early on but the fact that russia didn't want to admit to having a serial killer because that's only something that happens in the west and when you're a communist you're, you're never evil like that oh that's only the decadent west yeah you and even then, heard
2: uh, mr diplomatic immunity from uh lethal weapon yeah. to say that
3: yeah 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 the mr yeah i was gonna say yeah diplomatic immunity um and yeah and he's the biggest proponent and you don't have serial killers You can't ask for help. Yeah, you know none of this is right and it should just be an open and shut bookcase uh find you know find someone to blame uh so yeah i mean he got to get away with a lot more because of fear
2: there's also like a sort of weird political power um international diplomacy thing going on here where and this is a really hard thing to talk about but like especially in the 80s with the nuclear arms race heating up russia couldn't show any kind of inadequacy in any type of department or they would try to hide something. So if they were not able to capture a frequent serial killer because they didn't have the forensic techniques, they didn't have the scientific capabilities that the FBI had been honing over the years in the 70s with their own behavioral crimes and the things that the FBI were doing, they couldn't admit any of this because that would be like a show of weakness for their nation and they were afraid that that would do something with morale for the entire party or or something along those lines. And
3: Well, it changed. I mean, people's lives back then in russia were already pretty shit so it'd make them really even decide to fucking even go further against the
2: the party it's consolidation of power for a lot of this kind of cover-up and thank goodness that criminals aren't allowed to just go on doing what they want to do just so a political party can consolidate its powers right matt oh fuck
3: We're, we're living in that time aren't we
2: yeah this is why it's really prescient to talk about this. Now, this is something I was kind of thinking about doing with uh, the psychosomatic podcast, and I'm going to apologize to Darren that I didn't because this would really offer up a lot of discussions, but we're only going to scratch the surface here. This first 20 minutes really sets up the world that you're entering in and what is allowing a monster like Chickatillo to thrive.
3: Yes, and it's it's ineptitude. It's people covering their own asses instead of doing what's right. Um, it's people stroking power. But even the little power they have, they're going to uh, flaunt it because that is almost better than currency in in a communist system or at least that particular Soviet communist system. Uh, So, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of factors that can lead into a guy slipping through the cracks like that and getting away with a lot of shit.
2: There is also something we need to talk about, too, in your breakdown, whenever Stephen Ray's character of this forensics inspector actually does some of the interview of some of the parents of the missing children or the victims when they did find the bodies or what have you. When he does the interviews and starts asking them questions, he does notice a pattern where all the kids are riding the rails for fun because they're bored and they don't know what else to do with their day and they're lonely. They don't have a lot of friends. So he's actually developing a profile of what the victims are, what, what this guy is stalking for his victims without even realizing what it is he's doing. He's actually naturally intuitive to find this kind of stuff in this investigation. And at one point in time when he goes back to report to donald sutherland like like you were discussing he tells him all of this and he tells him exactly what it is and he says he found all of this you know this common link between the victims and donald sutherland's character says you've been on this for like a day or not even like yeah. a full eight hours and you already have a profile or something similar to that like and you already have an idea of the types of victims or how he's selecting his victims
3: well and you see how he went to meet the men he came right from like work and being up all night so not only does he have a maybe a natural kind of proclivity to, to these type of crimes but also he works hard like nonstop until he starts getting the answers.
2: He is later on described as a man of single-minded purpose, yeah. or something along those lines. And that, that,
3: uh, yeah, once they get to talk to the FBI, yeah,
2: yeah, and that he will once he's set to a task, he will never stop doing it. And he's even bragged about later on in the film about being a, the type of man that you would never want trying to find out any of your secrets because he yeah, will or not trying to find you, yeah, yeah, or or seeking you out or hunting you down because he will do it. Um, yeah, and I, I think. I think that really sets up the story really well. So let's move on to the next 20 minutes for everybody.
3: All right. Next 20. Um, so anyway, uh, in the next 20, we actually start out with he meets with the council again. And that is our next clip. I hope this latest murder puts to
5: rest the idea that the gypsy boy did it. Why? Because he was in custody when this one was killed.
3: So odd.
7: It could be a gang yeah. of which he was only a part.
5: We can't discount the man as a suspect quite so cavalierly. He did confess. I have some requests to make. We have 16 bodies, and no reason to believe we found all that are out there. In my opinion, it's a state of emergency, and for that reason, I have to ask for more men, a lot more. I also need computers, so that I can start a library of information about the case. And I need to communicate with the FBI's Serial Murder Task Force in Quantico, Virginia, the largest storehouse of information about serial murderers in the world. And finally, we need to publicize the case as widely as possible. First, to warn people of the danger. Second, to get more of the unknown bodies identified. And third, in the hope of bringing forth a witness to one of the crimes. No. No to what? No to everything? Are you mad? There's a maniac out there who'll kill every child in a goddamn district. Stop mistake. this
6: insolence.
7: Is there something you want to say, Colonel? No, sir. You handled that quite deftly.
5: Bondarchuk is a stupid man.
7: He may be stupid, but he is in charge. How can it be that you don't seem to know how things work in the Soviet system? I
5: know how things work, but right now there are 16 dead children and I want a little special treatment.
7: The strength of a bureaucracy is measured by its ability to resist giving anyone special treatment.
5: I don't appreciate your sense of humor. One day you will.
7: The reason they said no to your demands? To ask for more men, or computers for that matter is to admit to our superiors in Moscow that we are overwhelmed, which they will never do. To ask the FBI for help is to admit to the West that we are behind in both forensic techniques and managing information, which they will never do. And to publicize the case is to admit that such crimes exist in the Soviet Union, which is the one thing they would rather die than do. Publicly admit that anything is wrong. The only way that I have been able to get anything done is behind closed doors. By hoarding favours, by bribing, by wheedling.
5: But that will take time. It always does. Only in this case, people will die.
7: People will die. And it will take all our strength to suffer these outrages, but suffer them we must. Because we are the people who have to catch this monster, Comrade Burakov. You and I. As you may have noticed, No one else is even willing to try.
5: Good day. You care about nothing but making your superiors happy.
7: You're right. I should spend more time trying to alienate them. Perhaps you could teach me.
5: You say you and I have to catch this monster. What you mean is that it's up to me, isn't it? That's why a beginner is a perfect choice. If I fail, I'll be dangling out there by myself.
2: That is some serious shit. That's the dialogue is very heavy here and it illustrates everything that we were just saying. Like, and like I said, I know it's a
3: longer clip, but fuck is that powerful shit right there.
2: Well, and it's a very important portion of the story for where we're at now. We we were basically saying that they talk about this later and we're right there at this moment where the reason that they're resisting so hard on this isn't so much just that, you know, they don't want to admit that this is something that will happen in communist Russia. This is also something that they can't admit because they have to ask for help. That makes them look like they're weak. And we were talking about all of that. Ahead of time. And not just
3: weak to the west, even weak within their own country, their province or village or whatever you call it, can't be weaker than other ones in the eyes of Moscow.
2: Right, they can't so, admit that they have this problem and ask for help. They have to keep hiding and covering all of this stuff up. Uh, no, we're, we're we're
3: not a problem province. It must be other provinces who are a problem. You know, it's just horrendous.
2: Yeah, the strangeness of how bureaucracy really just kind of overshadows and can just really let people die in the sake of making themselves seem like they're better at what they do politically. I mean, thank goodness that will never happen again in this world, Matt. Uh, uh, no one tell him. Just let him have this. No one tell him. Yeah, court. You're right,
3: buddy. Woo, thank God. No one tell him. Everyone just shut the fuck up. I was being sarcastic. I already know. Let's move Shit. on. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we see the killers at the station, and we see our detective is also there. We see that another little girl dies, so unfortunately he just was able to see the killer who was there. And we cut to then, it's summer 1983. Um, we see a boy goes out, he goes to the bathroom, and while he's relieving himself out in this field, he washes away mudded and dirt from a dead girl's body in her face.
2: Um, Let's be so, frank. He pisses the dirt away from her face and then kind yeah. of freaks out as you would.
3: It runs away. Yeah. If you're pissing and all of a sudden, it, you know, shows a face. <laughs>
2: yeah. And the cinematography of these kinds of things when they do these kinds of shots where it seems like it's going to be something innocent and then the music swells and you realize, holy shit, that's a little girl's dead face there that he just peed the dirt away from. Yeah. And then it becomes this even more horrible thing because you know that boy is going to be haunted mentally for the rest of his life.
3: Yeah, I mean... In, with good reason uh so uh but yeah uh, i mean the camera the cinematography is just awesome um so the cops get the call and uh so then they decide to start watching uh train stations uh uh so he um the head detective's like i want all stains and they want them plain clothes they don't want anybody you know dressed up well anyway he goes into a train station And there's a guy there, but he's wearing his military coat. And again, we get a good sense of what the world's like. He has no other warm coat, only his military coat. And one of the guys is talking to the main detective, and he says, I think my cousin has a warm coat. Maybe he can bring it to town someday. So that shows you exactly the problem with communist russia at the time i mean they couldn't even get a coat couldn't go out and get one Um,
2: resources were extremely limited especially in the 80s because of the arms race that's where it really became a problem for them they were putting all their resources towards the arms giant yeah Yeah. thank Um, goodness that no other country in the world has wasted so much money on military infrastructure for no reason at all and just left its citizens to die horrible painful deaths Matt.
3: yeah um oh fuck man that is just gross (laughs) (laughs) you ever just feel bad that we're there i mean we do that now (laughs) we're fucking letting people die just so you know we could build another fucking drone to blow up a fucking village with people who pose no danger to us whatsoever yeah we're having a great time
2: yeah i feel horrible almost every day of my life when i think about that matt
3: yeah same here same i feel really sick that i you know am a part of this country um So uh, then we have a, oh, uh, the detective gives his coat to that guy and says he'll collect it once they catch the killer. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a long time before he gets that coat back.
2: Uh, Like another 10 years. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. So we have a new team meeting, and that is our next clip. In the years
5: since we discovered the first bodies, we found six more and interviewed 800 potential witnesses. For all that, we have no suspect. In fact, all we've been able to do is discredit the theory that a gang of retardates from the institute could have been involved. And according to some of the people in this room, we haven't even been able to do that. If you continue to forbid us to publicize the case, I can't honestly say when I expect our luck to change. You're saying you're no less than when you began? Not exactly. Bring in Gorbanov.
6: Gentlemen, this is comrade Gorbanov, special prosecutor from Moscow. Sit down, gentlemen. Thank you. Gentlemen, without wishing to embarrass anyone in particular, I must tell you that I've been sent here to take over this investigation because of its poor focus and slipshod execution. My superiors in Moscow agree with me that we should drop the train station surveillance immediately, not only because it's costly in terms of man-hours, but also because it hasn't produced a single viable suspect in a year. And because, and I say this with all due respect to my predecessor, it's based exclusively on one man's intuition, well, I'm afraid that's not good enough anymore. As of now, we'll run this investigation as professionals. As of now, standing around is no longer our style, aggressive pursuit is. We'll aggressively pursue suspects. Concentrating primarily on known sexual deviants for the obvious reason that they fit the nature of the crimes. And particularly on homosexuals owing to the fact that there are so many young boys among the victims. And we'll concentrate to a lesser extent on doctors and surgeons because of the precision of the eviscerations. Does that sound satisfactory to everyone? I object most strongly. Very satisfactory extremely satisfactory. I particularly like the idea of investigating known homosexuals. I think it is the best idea we've heard in the rather pathetic history of this case.
7: We want to thank you, comrade Gorbanov. We understand you can only stay in the area for another day or so. I trust you will have enough time
6: to get Burkov's team pointed in the right direction before you go back to Moscow. I'm sure I will. Good then. We're done here, I think.
7: Are we not? Good then. You heard him. He'll be here for 24 hours, and then he leaves. We still run the day-to-day operation. In a bureaucracy, it is important to know which skirmishes to join and which to ignore.
3: So, yeah. Uh lethal weapon, diplomatic community asshole brings in a a, what would be, for lack of a better word, a company man to, you know, yes man, just to try to force this through. And of course, they're going to concentrate on homosexuals because why not, you know, clean up the streets of your so-called undesirables for that? You know, use an excuse. You know, not like our government would ever do that,
2: though. Uh, We actually will be covering another movie involving a serial killer where that will actually become a thing. that's that's something that they did as well and it's
3: something something that's always been done since the beginning of time uh whether it's people of color people of a different sexual orientation people of a different religious aspect whenever something goes wrong you point to whatever you deem that is unworthy of being there anyway and then just start attacking it
2: that's why you yell look at that goat and then escape that's right look at that goat That's basically what they're doing. They're scapegoating their homosexual population. They're trying to find any excuse that they can to bust a bunch of them, bring them all in, rouse them about and, you know, subvert and get rid of their quote unquote undesirables, as you had stated. But in this case, the excuse that this clearly KGB officer who is just basically showing up to lend a hand, quote unquote, is doing here the reason that he chose that is because there is a large number of young little boys in his victims.
3: Yeah. But there are little girls too, you know? So it's,
2: The logic is deeply flawed, but um, I don't want to give away the next, uh, when we're going to do another movie that has a similar take, where they start going after a homosexual populace for the same reason that serial killers are happening, but the particular killer there wasn't even killing little boys. It was all women were that killer's victims, and they still were going after homosexuals thinking that they had something to do with it.
3: Of course, because they have to, because they're deviant, you know, in in this government's eye.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you phrased it that way because, um, (laughs) ish
3: <laughs> yeah well i mean exactly but that is what they would that's how they think yeah so uh, have, we, have how, we hit
2: the second 20 minutes yet or are we almost there
3: uh we're almost there so okay let's let me, finish it out me, and then yeah, we'll keep Let going. Me get this finished off so they begin busting in and taking in homosexuals um i know burkhoff and festoff have a huge argument even though you know first off is trying to help them stay within this little box burkhoff just wants to but bounce off of it right away then they start arresting doctors and And during the next meeting, asshole fucking in charge guy saying they're arresting too many doctors and asking why they're arresting these doctors and ruining their good name. And Berkhorov says, well, that's, you know, what they told us to do. And then they want him to start looking at cops because only cops can, can know how to get away with crimes like this. And even goes as far as to say, he should look at himself for this. Berkhorov then tells his wife that he is scared that, you know, this man's powerful and he might end up just, you know, blaming him him for this um we cut to the killers with his wife they're trying to be romantic he cannot get it up uh, she pretty much puts him down big time. So then he goes out with what, you, what would probably be a prostitute. He has, says he has booze, so he's giving it to her. And as they're getting down to it, he couldn't again get it up and she kind of starts laughing. So he stabs her over and over and over again in the chest. It's hardcore and that brings us to the end of that 20 minutes.
2: Alright, so this really kind of shows sort of the sexual frustration that drives him to do the things that he's doing. They hint at it but it's more in in the reality of it he is a sexual sadist the cannibalism is sort of secondary to his sexual sadism uh one of the things that Chicatillo loved to do was bite body parts off of people yeah. um particularly the nether bits of young boys he enjoyed chewing them off while they were still alive to hear them scream for help and be in pain yeah he was a yeah. sexual sadist because he was frustrated with his own sexual inadequacies because of his impotence, because of his inability to basically complete sexually uh, and not, and any kind not of to intercourse. To that,
3: but he surrounds, he's surrounded by people who mock him constantly. So th- also a lot of that has to do with anger.
2: He is constantly being belittled and he's in. Yeah. In his
3: day to day wife, everyone,
2: he's very timid, very backward, very um, just easily pushed around and seemed like there is nothing to him and he's not really a man. And the sexual frustration stuff, the wife and him have not clearly been getting along for a while. So when she starts making fun of him for not being able to perform, you know, that adds to it and so this pressure you can see it even building up in the sequence here at the end where he goes to hire this prostitute which to me I think she was just a transient riding the trains who was willing to do something for the booze he was offering her and that was it yeah because she's so whacked out of her mind she's laughing because she didn't realize that they didn't have sex at all
3: yeah and I couldn't tell if she was a prostitute and that's just what you know you go for or just yeah transient it's you're you're probably more right there I just didn't know the word to say
2: yeah I'm I I'm thinking it's more of a, a transient like homeless person who was doing this for the booze. This woman was that he propositioned her uh, the frenzied stab that he does in this case when he stabs her, they really drive home the sexual gratification he gets from plunging the knife into her heart. It's played out on the actor's face, the way that they sort of film it and um, the way that she owns as she dies, like to breathe out from that stab to the heart. It all plays into his fantasy world here here and they're really portraying it. And I like the way that they do it where it's very matter-of-factly. They're not trying to dramatize it. They're not trying to overplay it. It's just there, and you can take it however you want. But watching it this time, I definitely saw it, that he was really having a sadistic sexual fantasy be played out here in that first stab. And then when he does the additional ones, um, I don't know if you noticed or not, but like both arms are moving whenever he's just stabbing with one hand. I don't know if you've noticed that in the film, but that does happen.
3: Yeah, yeah. But, ooh, I thought it was brutal that was a brutal kill
2: yeah so he's stabbing and jerking it is what I'm saying at the same yeah. time and a lot of these kills they just make it more obvious with this adult woman because it's a lot more comfortable than when he's doing that with a child actor that's really not cool that's, that's hard true. to watch
3: yeah yeah um so yeah um under the next 20. yeah let's move on all right next 20 uh, it's now spring of 1984 um the uh cops they're checking out this crime scene of this particular girl being dead and he uh uh, Burkhorov, he's kind of starting to lose it. You can tell. He's angry. One of the other cop, The actual lazy cop at the very beginning is now kind of one of his closest allies now and kind of understands the way Burkhorov works. So, um, But he says, you know, anything you can find, pick up and that everyone's kind of laughing around, and he kind of flips out on him like no one having any respect for the dead. And you can tell the case is starting to get to him uh, on a massive level.
2: He's had both of his legs legs shackled, and yeah. his arms are tied behind his back, and then the irons are then connected from his hands to his legs, and they're telling him to go run a marathon. Yeah. Of course he's going to buckle under that pressure because uh, people uh, are dying. Would. People, yeah. people are dying while this is children, happening.
3: children and not just people, mostly children and
2: most children horrible, are dying. horrible and brutal ways. And he can't do anything about it. He is being shackled, but he still has to maintain his composure and keep fighting because if anyone's going to catch him, it's going to, it's going to have to be him because no one else is even trying. And the burden that must lay on that poor man's spirit is just unbelievable.
3: Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, he decides to scope out the train station himself, and he sees the killer talking to different kids. So he goes up, demands his identification, and checks his bag, and he finds a knife in the killer's bag. And so he arrests him. So um, they're interrogating him, and the cop questioning him even says, he goes, he doesn't know if he's savage enough to have done these crimes, uh, his words. But uh, they'll keep on him. You know, they're kind of like, of course, I'll keep on him. So then it bluffs out that the blood types don't match, which seems really fishy since this asshole, the asshole in charge dude uh, who is, you know, diplomatic immunity guy. He knew about it before even Berkaroff knew about it and also made a big deal that they had to release the man because he's a member of the communist party he's actually a party member so of course he could never do anything like this and there's no way that they should charge him with that
2: because it will reflect badly on the party in this particular community and as a whole so they are doing cover-ups
3: yeah a lot of them
2: if this were if this were truly a case of them trying to do a cover-up as soon as uh, Chikatilo showed up there and it turned out it, quote unquote, doesn't match and then he got released, you think they would quietly disappear him just to make sure it doesn't happen again. And then all of a sudden this killing stopped. Yeah. End of story. Something. Somebody but. severely dropped the ball here by letting him go. But Chicatillo must have been far enough up in the party like, or important enough as a man in the party. He's got a really nice home, you know, for just one wife and like no kids. And yeah. he's got a really big job at this factory, even though he got punished, you know, like he does this traveling work and he's got well, really nice a, it's outfits. It's important
3: enough work because if you know he messes up, then it's- Shuts down the factory. Know. Yeah. Yeah. So it must be somewhat of an important job and he must do something to reflect well on that town and the communist party as a whole. Um, so then we get a montage of the detective working and a young girl dying. Um, we signed, this is like a dream he's having. So he wakes up and just balls cries holding his children. So, uh, I mean, of course, again, we're seeing the, the continued breakdown because his superiors are so fucking, you know, horrendous people. Uh,
2: I thought he had a vision of one of our dream of one of his daughters being killed. I think it was was his
3: daughter because he has a daughter and a son so yeah i think it was his daughter who he saw
2: yeah which Uh, any parent who has to deal with this type of if you have that kind of dream you
3: you wake up and you uh, i mean you don't even have to be in the subject matter you have a dream your kid dying you you shed a couple tears even when you wake up you're happy it was a dream but it's fucked
2: well it's all it's a worse it's a parent's worst nightmare and then when your nine to five job every day of your life is doing this yeah
3: yeah, seeing little kids dead, then I'm sure it carries on a little bit of an extra weight there.
2: Yeah, he is probably horrified for what could happen to his children every day of his life that he is awake. And now yeah. he doesn't even get any respite while he's sleeping.
3: Yes, Um so now we cut co- it's spring 1986. Uh, no bodies have been found for some time. And he even says, you know, it would be better to find three bodies than none. Cause at least then they could get a clue off of it. Cause he's, and he says this in a way, cause he's sure that the killer is still killing. He's just getting better at hiding his bodies, especially cause in his belief, they arrested the killer. You think he still believes that. So now he knows shit they're to me. So he's gotten better at hiding it now. Um, which is more worrisome So uh, they keep busting gay men And then uh, oh, uh, After they bust uh, this Older guy with a younger boy um, He gets the okay to release the young boy Because he is just a boy Not really knowing what's going on the, the guy's kind of the sicko here Like a pedophile And he goes to release the boy of the prison But by the time he opens it he finds out That the kid hung himself um, And that is the end of that 20 minutes
2: First of all the young boy Was not Just being seen or visited by the one guy that he got busted with. He gave them a lot of information that they'll need later on this particular young boy. They just left him in the cell without knowing that he was going to be let go with all the information that he gave just because he was a homosexual. They decided, hey, whatever, we'll just let him be. It's it's no problem. Let him be scared or whatever. They didn't really think about it. They didn't care. And then, well, we haven't said what happened, have we? Yeah, he hung himself. There's a sequence where... Oh, Stephen-
3: oh, the other things? Yeah, no, not yet.
2: Yeah, no, I'm talking about the sequence where Stephen Ray walks in, finds the oh, boy hung there, gets, yeah, he, gets up on a stool to take him, him down, down and... Holds him like yes. it's his own child, and then yep. lays him down on the bed. And then, as he's walking out, he just gives this glance at Donald Sutherland's character. Like yeah, the, you did it, this. It, this is your yeah. fault. You killed this kid.
3: And Donald Sutherland's character is starting his own break now. Because you know, Donald Sutherland's character. I loved Donald Sutherland plays this character really well. And it's the character of deep down, he is a good person and he wants to do good. But he also understand. He always plays it with. In a system that he has to manipulate and he won't go outside of it like other good guy characters will. Like, fuck the system. He's like, well I, he always plays a character if he does when it's a good character that kind of works within the system.
2: It's a very swarmy, very um, getting things done by ingratiating and being a real scummy yet doing it for what's right kind of person. Yeah. yeah. That's the character that he's playing here and Donald Sutherland is masterful at playing that manipulation the rules kind of character he's very well, quite very well he, he's very good at it.
3: playing a lot of characters to be well, honest yeah but
2: he the way that he does oh, that this, particular, car- this
3: type of character is amazing yeah you're right
2: yeah this is what he is made to do is this like bureaucratic swarmy guy who really wants to do the right thing but has to do it within the system and kind of be manipulative that's like his bread and butter that's what Donald Sutherland's really good at uh, ah, yeah now we got to talk a little bit about um they've been busting in doors of homosexuals For quite a while in this story over and over again on party command, like this is what they have to do. And you can see the cops as the sequences go more and more that they show that this it's time to go bust them again. There's time to go bust them again. This time around Stephen Ray just basically for the first time doesn't even go and he just stands outside because he knows it's pointless. He lights up a cigarette and then they bring the people out to him. And then further on, when they do this again later on in the movie, you see he realizes how much more of a waste of the time it is, even more so where he just stops even really kicking in the doors anymore. Like he's not even doing that. He's uh,
3: hanging out like outside the place while everyone else does the work. He's
2: right. But this out. is the first time where he kicks in the door and then he goes like he's going to go inside. But then he just stays out there and lights a cigarette and lets them go in because he knows it's a waste of time. There's a couple of visual clues that this movie does like that, where you can tell he has no interest in this. He's going through the motions because this is part of the order and he has to do this in order to do the actual investigative work and try and stop the monster. Um, And that's really what I think this 20 minutes really does is it's dragging on forever and he's powerless to do anything and it's really starting to get to him. And it's at the point now where he doesn't even take the part of the job that he's being ordered to do serious anymore, where he's just kind of. Standing there, And then that statement about, I'd rather find three bodies than none because he knows he's still killing is such a frenzied frustration. And even if yeah. we back up even further to, in the beginning of the 20 minutes, we were talking about how, um, when they're trying, they find the, another little girl and the, the officers are kind of numb to this and they're used to it. So they don't even, they're joking around or they're having a good time. And when he just lights up the whole entire group and just lays into them all where he's basically saying, we are going to take photographic evidence. We're going to take fingerprints, DNA, whatever it is that we need, like from everything. He's literally like every piece of garbage on this florist floor. I forget what the radius is, but like, it's like ridiculous. Like we're going to fingerprint it. We're going to try and find something. And he's like, if we can't find him and if there's nothing that we get from this, it will not be from our lack of looking.
3: Yes, exactly. It won't be from our lack of... Attention to detail,
2: right? And because he says that, and because he lays into them that way, they realize it snaps them back to reality that this is a body. This is this used to be a person, and furthermore, it's a child. And you will show this human being dignity and respect. And I don't think he's ordering them that as a punishment that they have to do all of that. I think he's literally like so much at his wits' end now, where he's like, "We can't get anything from any of this ever. It's not going to be because we didn't try. It's not going to be because we didn't look." And I believe that that's the biggest thing that he has here is like we're allowed to investigate this because it just happened let's find as much as we can because this is all i can do and that hopelessness in his voice when he does that dialogue just fucking cuts you to the bone this film has a cumulative effect on you and you should be really bummed out at this point in the story about 60 minutes in you,
3: you should be ready to break I mean, you know, yeah, totally. you should just be done with like fucking everything.
2: And that all um, hinges on Stephen Ray's ability to have all of that boiling underneath the surface in such a calm voice so that when he does go to that, that Stephen Ray, that is the shouty, screamy over the edge, Stephen Ray, you totally understand it. And you're already there with him because you're just as frustrated. And this whole film really hangs on his ability. And I think he really rises to the occasion, particularly in that scene.
3: Yeah, I think so too um yeah and in he because he plays this great kind of he's supposed to be this very calm very intellectual soft-spoken man and this is what it's dragging him to because when so when does his outbursts mean even more yeah, I totally
2: agree. Alright.
3: Uh, yeah, so, uh, we go into the next 20 minutes here, and there's another meeting, and the asshole dude brings up that he was overheard saying that about rather find the three bodies. At this point, he realizes that they don't care. They don't care about anything, uh, and they might even want to pin this on him. So he begins to cry, and he breaks down. Uh, Festoff, takes him out of the room and calls his wife to have her come pick him up. Then Festov decides to go back into the council room and takes on that asshole. And that's our next clip. Replace him. No. What was that? What did you say?
7: After five straight years on the same assignment, Lieutenant Burakov is taking his first vacation. His job will be waiting for him when he comes back. Get out. All of you, right now! If you ever again contradict me in front have of me, well, I we don't are... care what you have there! The information Who about cares? I have! A 19-year-old boy you maintain in the town of Shakti. In the apartment you have arranged for him, and the gifts that you have given him, and the dates of your last three overnight visits, if you attempt to fire Lieutenant Burakov, now or at any time, I will send all this to your wife. I recommended you for this position. I will always be indebted to you. <laughs>
2: uh,
3: so- Fucking a. So you find out the guy who's so interested in hunting gay people. Well, he's gay himself. So what a shit.
2: Yeah, I mean, thank goodness that our leaders would never have something like that happen. Yeah, course, We suck. <laughs> Everything sucks. I mean, yeah. no one could ever become vice president being that closeted so badly that they're targeting people that are themselves because they're such self-lovers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. let's face it. All homophobes are essentially gays that are just uncomfortable with the fact that they're gay. Yeah.
3: They hate the fact that they're gay. and yes. they know. They so don't they want get angry that about, kind about of
2: it. Shit. That's really what a homophobe is.
3: So after all this, we see that Berghoff has been actually admitted to something of a mental facility almost um his wife is visiting him and she goes on about how his boss has kind of been taking care of the family bringing over a ham all this kind of stuff that's big
2: having having a ham ham. brought to you in this era of communist russia whenever all of the money is going towards bombs yeah that's that that's like he probably gave them his christmas ham by way of apology
3: something yeah so um pretty much she talks him into coming back comes back and he thanks his boss for sticking up for him and helping his family. And after buttering up, then he says he would like to bring a psychiatrist into the into the fold to try to see things because it's never been done before. That makes Donald Sutherland so pleased because so wait, you just paid me a compliment, built me up, and now you're asking for something. He goes, "Have I created a
2: monster?" <laughs> But yeah, he says something about you've gone out of your way to make me feel good about myself and then ask yeah. me for a simple favor. And yeah. he's he's like he's like I've taught you well and I think yeah. I may have created a monster, something along exactly. those lines. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. He's very happy about it and uh, says he will look into getting a psychiatrist. So, um we They say they find another body, and this time Donald Sutherland's actually out there with them to go through the evidence, and as he sees the young person's body, he can't handle it. So to kind of save face, Burkoff tells the other cop, hey, why don't you take him over there so he can review the evidence that's... uh. That they found over there, and you know, to try to you know help him save face because he was all about ready to break down and vomit himself by seeing it.
2: Yeah, it was more or less the smell of the body, but he was trying to really show that he cares enough to be here and he wants to learn everything that he can about what they're doing. And then yeah. they very quickly help him. Not Ralph. It's not so much yes. that emotionally he can't handle it. I think it was. Oh, the I smell. thought
3: it was because yeah, it starts to become emotional for him.
2: Oh, I thought it was just him trying to choke back the vomit. Like I just no, like. No. The,
3: I think he's I I think I you know being a bureaucrat he doesn't know a lot about you know death and everything so I think it was mainly about that It could have been the smell, too. I think it might have been a combination of everything,
2: so. Well, I'd imagine that being confronted by your first body, having it be, like, a really decomposing corpse that really, really reeks, and and a dead child, or someone like a bureaucrat, I could see where that could be a combination of both, so I have no argument against that. And
3: someone who's also a good man, who's not, like, dead on the inside, so, you know, that kind of shit still affects him.
2: Oh, that explains why I didn't understand that emotional side of it. Okay, move on. Yeah, that shit doesn't affect you, because you're a fucking
3: dead man. Anyway, I... (laughs) so uh the um they get a psychiatrist who agrees to help them uh and so then we see the we cut to the killer he's with a young boy and then we see blood pouring out of that young boy's mouth um so uh so then the psychiatrist they go through his kind of examination of the evidence everything like he's gone through about this and he says there's no way a gay man's doing this it is definitely a straight man He's also very sexually frustrated. Um... But the council doesn't care after going through all this and demands they still go after gay people because it just makes sense to them, which is horrendous, of course. Um, then we cut to spring 1990, uh, Striker begins, which is making things easier. And there's a new head of investigation and new head of the investigation going to be chosen. Uh, so then the next day, uh, Berkoff goes into that council room and only Festoff is there. And that is our next clip. Where are they? Who? The committee. We are it. Who's the new head of the
5: investigation? You. Congratulations, Colonel.
7: Well, actually, I'm a general now. I don't have my insignia yet, but they are on order.
5: Congratulations, General. You are a colonel.
7: Congratulations, Colonel. Sit down. Let's get started. I am now the prefect of militia for the entire Oblast, reporting only to Moscow. I can allocate resources any way I see fit, and I am considering this case my highest priority. You need men, you need publicity, you need communications, you have it. These in Moscow yesterday, they're fantastic. You have a telephone appointment, tonight at midnight, to speak with the head of the FBI's serial murder task force, Special Agent Bickford. He told me late last night that he has been following your work on this case with great interest for about five years. I didn't ask him how. He considers you a man of iron will for what it's worth, I concur. And he, he also told me that he rotates his people off serial murder cases every 18 months, whether they like it or not, to prevent the inevitable psychological consequences of too much frustration. I, I pretended that I had known that all along. He thinks that I pushed you and pushed you in search of your limits, until I realized that you didn't have any Privately, I offer my deepest apologies to you and your wife. I hope that someday you can forgive me my ignorance. Anyway, uh, he suggested I not tell you this next, but he said that he starts a new group of recruits through the program every 16 weeks. And the first lecture that he gives is always about you. He calls you the one man in the world that he would least like to have after him. An intelligent, methodical, painstaking, passionate detective who would rather die than give up. Again, I concur. Colonel Buttercup, I'm sorry.
2: You may go. Damn that moment. Oh, fuck.
3: Right. Yeah. oh god that the, right and and by the way when he said i got these from moscow they're they're great that they're a box of tissues
2: yeah it's puffs tissues no less yeah and yeah. he hands them to him because he knows what he's about to say is a very emotional thing and he yeah. was actually hoping that Stephen ray's character would i guess kind of break down or was a, expecting him and to
3: he, well he started to that's why he apologized and let him leave
2: yeah which is what yeah. he said um now that that moment where he talks about every 18 months they're cycled off because of the frustration that can build up and that he pretended that he knew that or that that was something that they would do. Um, But then he deeply apologizes because basically yeah, it was please. letting him be in charge of this all this time. And because he was so single minded and so iron willed and kept doing it Um, to the outside world, it was perceived as though he was a man with no breaking point. But the truth of the matter is, even though they kind of covered it up, he most certainly is just a normal everyday human being. And this is the most communist Russian moment where he's like, I am deeply sorry that you and to you and your wife that you've suffered this, you know, yeah. but the rest of the world, as far as they're concerned, you're a man of iron will, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just like this whole conversation is so layered and so dense and so deep and so beautiful. Like it really lays out the friendship that these two have developed and the camaraderie yeah. that they have for just simply trying to stop this monster. And it's, uh, I, it's the crux of the whole movie. I got a little teary eyed during the scene. Shit, man, I got teary eyed listening to the fucking clip. <laughs> yeah right i mean yeah it's so beautiful it's such a beautiful scene
3: put yourself in that position you've spent years hunting a child killer knocked off and every time you make any traction you're knocked back further back than where you started to begin with and now you finally find out fuck it it's it's go time now it doesn't matter anymore you're you're in charge you know everything at your disposal fuck, that's gotta be something.
2: And more so, it's you are the sole purpose that this investigation has continued. This is all your work, and so much so that the people who started looking for serial murders and realizing that this was a constant thing that was not going to go away, that you could profile and you could hunt, you are now the example that is being taught at that location as the type of person that is needed to hunt these monsters. Like, knowing all of that, no, yes, they over-dramatize it in the movie probably and it's probably Fuck not it. the truth but it's, it's this is what entertainment we, this is what we as an audience need to see that this man is not only being recognized by the people that needed to recognize it in his home country and and the and getting the resources that he finally needs and has been asking for and the things that he knew that he would need to end this and he so unabashedly asked for regardless of what it would make him look like as a human being whenever he was asking for help from the FBI and all that like wanting to get help from the FBI and all this stuff and then he's getting all of the resources that he asked for at the beginning of this like 10 years ago practically <laughs> you know yeah. it's like it's like this whole thing ha- takes place over 8 years and this is coming towards the end of it so we're like at about 8 or so years that he's been trying to get these resources and now with the changes that have happened in Russia thanks to Gorbachev and the glasnost and all this stuff and where things are starting to open up and change. He's finally getting the access of what he needs. And not only that, he's being told of all of the recognition and all of the information that has been leaked out somehow about him and that he is held up around the world as being yeah. the example of this type of investigative work. You know, like it's just it's the crux of the whole movie. And you know, it's the bit of relief that we need as an audience to we've been now we're like, oh my God, there's maybe a chance of getting this guy. Well, there's that. And then there's just just we're following Stephen Ray's character. I mean, he's the one that we're supposed yeah. he's our main character that we're following as the investigator. And just seeing him be beaten down again and again and again for a fucking for, hour of this movie for, and just for nothing else than trying to save children's life, Right. He's just trying to do the right thing, and he's just constantly met with a barrage of problems trying to get there. And then finally, being recognized and just given just a modicum of the resources that he was asking for, and then the apologies, and then this development of the friendship and the caring that the two have back and forth, and just having Donald Sutherland, who has been his very rigid superior, basically just drop all of these truth bombs about how he feels about this situation and what Yeah, I concur.
3: Yeah. Again, I concur. (laughs)
2: Right. And then basically just come right out and apologize for, you know, an oversight on his part that caused the problem that the man had. You know, it's just, it's so powerful and so beautiful and it's such a great scene and it is, it's the crux of the whole entire story. And from here on out, that reinvigorated kind of energized thing that we're about to talk about that's going to happen in the investigation. It's what propels us forward from here.
3: Yeah. Well, and I wanted to say that was actually that clip is the end of that 20 minutes as well. But I think we've kind of.
2: Yeah, we've covered it. We're good. Yeah.
3: yeah. Like I said, I'm going
2: to try to keep it to the end of the 20 minutes for story points that aren't as important. But there's going to be stuff that I'm going to have to talk about regardless while it's happening. Agree.
3: Um. So, next 20, they plan, the plan is put forward. They're going to put ununiformed uh, men in all their train stations except for three. The men should be very upfront. They should be very visible. It should be very visible. They should be harassing people who seem weird, who like to talk to strangers, asking for the identifications, going through their things. They should be very visible with this, like not at all subtle. Yeah, so no it's going to be
2: uniformed men in every station. But three, basically making it a fearful place for a hunter to not be. And then they will have guys that are not in uniform at the three that are open so that they can watch and make it feel like it's safe to do their hunting there. Uh, But they basically are bringing in soldiers, and the soldiers are being told to become fascist assholes to literally anyone who is talking to a woman that they aren't already traveling with anybody who chats up a child anyone who talks to any stranger at all they need to visibly harass them and be very unsubtle and all of this stuff and like the speech that sutherland gives on this he's literally like saying like i want you to be the worst versions of yourselves and so obvious and so mean that this scares the person away from your station like that's literally what he's saying yeah Terrify people to do anything in your station that's what we're counting on you to do and he's like can i count on you to be very unsubtle can i count on you to be extremely cruel <laughs> you know like all- yeah. <laughs> that's basically what he's saying in the speech
3: it's pretty fucking exactly. awesome it's awesome and the killer he starts seeing This happening and going on. Then those two, they could go to. They're going around to people to collect interrogations, and they find out through one man who actually came running back from the bathroom who had not had a break in thirty six hours because his other partner is sick, so he'd been there for thirty six hours. That one of the interrogations of the man, he said he was coming out of the forest and he looked dirty. And so he, that's why he, he hadn't talked to anybody, but he just looked dirty and kind of wrong. So that's why he interrogated him. And we see the name is the man who they had arrested before the actual killer. Citizen so, Chicatello. Yeah. So they're bringing out all the men to go through that forest to look through everything. So now we go, that was actually a pretty short to go through. That was also a 20 minute block. There just wasn't a lot of dialogue. It was a whole lot more of just doing and the killer seeing things.
2: It's important to note that the sequence that we're talking about here, you see the soldiers doing the job that they're supposed to do. And they don't quite yeah. go as overboard fascist about it, but they are very publicly they're, displaying uh, but, asking yeah, for they're papers. Visible. And,
3: yeah. they're visible. they in their uniforms. In their uniforms, you know, you can just tell. They're visible.
2: And um, um, there is moments where Chikatilo's at each of these stations and then kind of realizing that his options are limited and limited and limited. Yes,
3: yeah, so you see him. He's looking. He may try to go talk to a girl and when he's trying when he goes up to maybe talk to somebody somebody else gets bullied to the point where he turns around and he leaves.
2: Yeah, and also or he'll go to talk to somebody and someone was already kind of talking to him and they both get harassed about it and yeah. that kind of thing. And they're specifically making sure like he has them targeting men specifically talking to people that they don't yeah. nor, are not traveling with. Like it's all about making sure that the men are very uncomfortable in this situation for reaching out and and all of that and this sequence really is just kind of a let's move this stu- move the story forward this is the action of the investigation this is the technique that once our guy was finally allowed to do it got to come up with with the resources which he asked yeah. for fucking seven years ago or something. Exactly.
3: So, anyway, now we move to the final 20 minutes. They find a little girl's body um, and we see, unfortunately, the guy who actually questioned the guy, you know, who got the interrogation it is his cousin's daughter. Uh, his cousin's eight-year-old daughter. And so he starts beating his head against a tree until he's bleeding. And, you know, Burakov kind of talks him down a little bit. We then cut to it's November 20th, 1990. Uh, the killer is intercepted by some plainclothes walking around, and these plainclothes cops just surround him and say, don't make any movements, don't be weird, let's go, come on.
2: He just bought like a giant fucking pickle jar filled with beer. Yeah, yeah, he went to a beer stand
3: and the guys had mugs of beer and pickle jars of the beer, and you know he's gonna use that pickle jar of beer to try to entice somebody.
2: Oh yeah, totally, I mean, that's why he bought it, yeah. Yeah, um, so
3: anyway, he's taken in, and they process him, and they find, uh, Uh, Well fucking injuries to the fucking head of his dick And they keep asking him like how long has he had that And he kind of won't answer Uh, He's kind of almost Shell shocked in a way
2: yeah, um, the line exactly is something about how did you get the abrasions on the abrasions, head of your penis? Yeah, your penis. Yeah, over and, and over uh, again. And he, just,
3: and he just sits there like he doesn't even answer him. He's in almost in getting canatonic because he's like, "Fuck!" I think he knows he's fucked.
2: Well, and he's um, so timid in real life, and he can't when he's not living out his active fantasies because he's such a fucking coward. Let's face it. Yeah, he is. In he's such a fucking coward that all he can do is attack children because he knows he, you know, he's got it. He doesn't have to and he doesn't like to actually have to work for his kills then like that that just ruins it for him so whenever he's actually confronted with anybody who actually holds any kind of power of defense for themselves over him or could yeah. easily overpower men, him, how about yeah, exactly men especially you know? men but also women yeah. like his own wife could yeah. beat the living shit out of him oh
3: yeah his wife could browbeat him and then beat the fuck out of him physically yeah, yeah. but definitely now that this is a police station full of men he's not this is not his area to be in
2: Right. And also he knows he's busted too. Let's face it. Like you can't explain how you got all those crazy fucking wounds on the end of your dick. So you're busted. You know, you know, you're busted.
3: You're busted. Um, well, so anyway, unfortunately the cop who was brought in to take the investigation over from Berkakov early in the film, well, he's back. He still has friends in high places, and so he gets to run the fucking interrogation. So, he is interrogating him now for five straight days. And the killer finally says, you know, if you come back tomorrow, I'm too tired, but I'll confess tomorrow. And so, he's very happy. It's on record. He's leaving. And fucking... Uh the uh he's confronted by uh both uh Berkaroff and his and Kiefer Sutherland and Kiefer Sutherland almost goes to tear Donald's his fucking head Donald, Donald Sutherland uh, Donald did I say Kiefer fucking yeah Donald Sutherland and the Sutherland's about ready to tear him a new asshole and so it, now it's Burkroff who has to take his superior back and kind of play the game. But they make sure he knows he only has three more days, and then they have to release him if they don't get this confession. Um, then, on the eighth day, the killer gives a BS confession about how he grabbed a, an 11-year-old girl's breasts, and that's why he no longer teaches. Um, so, finally, they kind of smooth it over, and they re, the old guy relents, and they bring in the psychologist,
8: and that's our final clip. I've never done this before. I'm terrified, but... I'm Bukanovsky. I'm a psychiatrist. And I... Uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I wrote a paper about you three years ago. I called you Citizen X. I'm sure a lot of it is wildly incorrect. Would you like me to read it to you? Pardon me? Yes. Please. There's some introductory rubbish, designed to make me sound brilliant. brilliant. We can ignore that in here, I should think. Uh, Citizen X has probably had a tendency towards isolation since childhood. His internal world, filled with fantasy, is closed to those around him, even those close to him. The adolescence of such a person is, as a rule, painful, because he is often subjected to the laughter of his peers, and at a time when success among them is the subject of his secret dreams. His sexuality is not noticeable to those around him. However, it is an external asexuality that frequently coincides with steady masturbation and bright erotic fantasies. He is painfully sensitive in company, incapable of flirting and courtship. However, it cannot be excluded that he has fathered a family. There is reason to think that uh, Citizen X has a weakness of sexual potency. This is supported by the fact that signs of entry of the sexual organ into the sexual paths of the victims have been found in nine cases, but that in only two, the length of contact has been sufficient to reach orgasm with the rest of the cases involving ejaculation on the body of the victims. He sits or squats astride his victim. The orgasm and ejaculation most likely occur at this stage of the act and in this position, sitting on the victim in the period of her agony. The blinding of some of the victims could be a symbol of his power over the partner, or an inability to bear his or her gaze, even if it is unconscious, or possibly a reflection of X's belief in the folk tale that the victim's eyes retain an image of the killer even after death. (laughs) It is the last, is it not? You believe the police might see your image in their
7: eyes?
8: (sighs) What about the ejaculation? Was I right about that? Sitting on the victim in the period of Iraq. You ejaculated while stabbing them. I ejaculated while stabbing them. Sometimes before they died, sometimes after. With or without additional masturbation? Usually with. And that accounts for the oppressions on your own organ, the frenzied masturbation? With the last one
6: especially, Natasha Dunyankova. After killing her, I still had some difficulty. I hurt myself trying to achieve release.
3: Jesus
2: Christ.
3: Right? Holy fuck. So, uh, after all this, the men leave and they come outside you know the the cops and the psychiatrists to a mob and as they're trying to get the mob once the man they want to do all justice um the other cops yell out that instead of attacking these men they should be thanking them uh because they're the ones who caught the monster and then the group starts applauding all the detectives and the you know every uh, everyone there um so then he leads authorities to another few sites of that had not uh, been seen. And we get some uh, words on the screen here that the mistaken blood and semen analysis that allowed uh, the killer to be released in 1984 has never been adequately explained. Soviet Russia's head forensic expert has since asserted that she had discovered a rare new phenomenon. A man with a blood type of one kind and the semen type of another. Her colleagues around the world scoff at the idea. Chileto led detectives to the graves of three undiscovered victims proving conclusively that he was the murderer and bringing the final total body count to 52 dead 35 of the victims were children under the age of 17 and the uh, he was convicted of all 52 murders and now during all this you see like its trial uh, people yelling screaming all this and at the very end he's being led out of his cell by a couple guards Uh, He's asked to walk into a room. When he goes in, he sees it's a bare room with just a drain in the middle. He realizes it. A gun is put to the back of his head. He is shot. Uh, The end roll credits.
2: Oh, man. Okay, so there's a lot to kind of unpack. When we were talking what? about them interviewing for psychologists, we didn't really dig into that in that 20 minutes, so I want to go back to there real quick. Okay. There's a sequence where they go into a room of, like, all of the top psychologists that are in the party, you know, because the party is the the thing that you have to choose from the party. Yeah. And all of these men are, you know, these well-known th- like collegiate psychologists and stuff like that. They lay out everything that's happening with the case. They flat out ask for their help and everybody fucking leaves the room and they yeah. feel like they're abandoned. And as they're walking out the fucking exorcist himself or death himself, if you're a more of a Bergman fan, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he uh lays out that Max van Seidel talk and basically says, look, my career's on the line here, but this is an opportunity I can't pass up something along those lines.
3: Well, he also says something like you know my it's so sad to see my colleagues run away from something that actually needs their assistance. Right. And he, 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 yeah. And so, uh, that, that's something also he realizes that this is just, you know, this is something he needs to do.
2: Right. He takes the case files or he gets the information that he needs from the detective who brought the stuff for them to, to do a workup is what he's looking for. A psychological profile. And yeah. He says that he'll have something for him in the morning. He's, he takes it and then he he takes off and we don't really see side after that, but there's a long conversation about it in that corridor where it's just max von seidel all the time and for like the briefest moment it becomes his movie and yeah and i think it's really a good idea to not have him as much in this film because as great as donald sutherland is and as amazing as stephen ray is in this film i mean they're both incredible and really just commanding the screen von seidel takes over the entire fucking movie the time that he's there
3: no doubt. Like, no doubt. He is amazing. Yeah. That interrogation scene, yep. both of those actors, I mean, just went to another level. The 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 actor's name, I who plays the killer, fucking his crying and weeping, you fucking believe that this is happening in real life in front of you
2: well and it's so much that it starts off with him understanding that someone finally understands him someone finally gets him and yeah. he can't connect with anybody and max von seidel very much mimics who he is and it's jeffrey Damon is the actor that we couldn't think of uh, Andre Chikatilo. So what Max Van Seidel does is quite genius. He goes in there and he mimics the way that Chicatillo holds himself and talks and he's very self-deprecating with his humor. He's like, I say a bunch of things to make me sound important, so let's yeah, just skip I, that.
3: I've never done this before and I'm terrified.
2: Right. He, you know. he becomes very timid. He very much mimics him to make him comfortable and as yeah. he's reading the stuff to him, he's already basically saying like, look, I know you did this as he comes in. He's like, let's see if I have you figured out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let's see if this Tell, tell
3: me what's also goes, tell me what's wrong.
2: Right. Tell but me I, what I got I, wrong so
3: about ver- this. Very much still self-deprecating.
2: Right. And he pretty much just opens it up to where he's basically- already set up this whole thing where like i understand you i get where you're coming from i'm very much like you and that's a interrogation technique that is used all the time and it's amazing how with just in a matter of reading the document about him he gets him to confess after eight days of browbeating and intimidation and tactics that wouldn't work on a serial killer
3: yeah exactly it's amazing that he gets it done like that yeah um i loved yeah that whole interrogation scene, like I said, that's probably my favorite scene in the movie.
2: Well, for me, it uh, like the absolute pinnacle for me is definitely the sequence where Donald Sutherland and Stephen Ray are having that conversation after the glass now opening up thing, you know? Oh,
3: yeah. Like that, I mean, that's that's pretty good, too. Uh, that's probably my second favorite scene.
2: Well, see, mine are just reversed. And I think, yeah. I think the thing that overshadows it for you is Max von Sydow, because let's face it, you can't not love something Max von Sydow's in.
3: Exactly. Yeah, that's a fact.
2: <laughs> he is just amazing in everything he's in and he does he commands this fucking film and if you're going to pick someone to be your closer for the story you got to have it be von Sydow it just makes sense
3: i agree fully
2: yeah uh, so we already talked about how much you've enjoyed the film so that's not really going to be that much of a spoiler um i was expecting you to like it i would have been more shocked if you didn't like it
3: yeah i uh, i mean you're you think right i mean this is the definitely this is the kind of movie i enjoy um it's you know Part because it did actually happen. So it's part biopic and part murder fucking mystery of trying to catch only you just you know who the killer is. Now it's can they catch him with all this fucking horrendous bureaucracy that could stop him. So I'm uh, yeah, I, I love this movie. And and then add to all of that. The script is good. The actors are excellent. It's well directed. It's well shot. It, it's got really everything.
2: Yeah. Uh, this was definitely the uh, cinematic pick-me-up that we needed after 12 Sedaris uh, movies.
3: Yeah, 12 straight Sedaris movies make you, you know, woo, man, this was a nice palate cleanser. I'll tell you that right now. Um, That's exactly what exactly, I picked it to be. <laughs> yeah, this is like, yeah, a, a, a excellent palate. I, I can't say enough about that. I'll watch it again. I watched it three times. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it.
2: Uh, somebody needs to get you a high definition copy of it then before you watch it again.
3: Yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, and and like I said, even with the copy I got it, look, it still feels good. I mean, because you, you realize when this was made, so you just kind of roll with that. Uh, And I'm not, and I have no real problems. I, I just, again, great, great movie. Uh why I watched it a ton. It's awesome.
2: <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear it, man. So uh that's pretty much everything I've got to say about Citizen X. Um other than I just also wanted to mention that Chicatello's trial was uh, every bit as frenzied and insane as they tried to portray it, as actually they, they dialed it back a bit. Uh he was kept in a cage not for the audience's protection, but to keep people from being able to get to him. And it's Oh, cer- I'm sure. And at certain points he would get triggered and like lash out and be screaming and stuff like that and they showed his glasses being uh broken and all of that and that's like there's a very famous photo of him where he had his glasses but at one point he wasn't even able to wear his glasses inside the cage anymore um and they did a really good job of mimicking the shirt that like the prison shirt that he was always in um there's a very famous photo of chickatillo like kind of screaming back at the audience with his eyes crossed and like one eye crossed because i think he had uh, something wrong with one of his eyes and just like Looking like the epitome of the type of person that you would expect to be this type of killer Um, in that shirt. It's a very famous uh, photo of him like that. It shows up in all the fucking serial killer books about serial killers and cannibal killers I used to read as a kid, so... Uh,
3: well and, and one thing I wanted to say is uh, during when the final scenes in the movie when the g- kind of words are going off you see him in that little cage thing they made and he has these wild crazy fucking eyes
2: yeah the only thing they got wrong is he still had the glasses on that is the pose I was actually getting at yeah. that um, yeah. but the thing that they got wrong is they still had the broken glasses on him for that but like where he's grabbing the side of the bars with that crazy look if they would have had the glasses off they would have almost recreated that shot perfectly yeah, nice yeah which is why I was spending so much time describing it and you just undercut me there which that's the the crux of this show for sure
3: (laughs) that's that's how this show goes
2: (laughs) (laughs) well speaking of how this show goes we're going to take another break here we're going to play the corrupted youth promo because i'm still not done trying to drive listeners to that show we'll come back we'll have a little bit of music and let's do some fucking psyop news i'm four
4: taste colors beyond any known spectrum as phonic euphoria cascades into your consciousness Observe the laws of physics no longer applying to an existence that confines. Space and time will unravel and reform to a screaming new dawn, bursting with infinite possibility. It's as easy as listening to the Corrupted Youth Podcast, where the father-son duo of Dan and Brennan explore the latest blockbusters, classic genre films, and the schlockiest of Golden Age VHS rental store flicks in spoiler-heavy fashion. Corrupted Youth Podcast is available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. Take a break from reality, unlock your infinite cosmic potential, and become a dongle.
2: That driving synth sound. Yeah. <laughs> driving us ever forward, because before I said let's do the PSYOP news, I didn't realize how long we had taken to talk about that movie, so we need to move forward. We're running out of time.
3: All right, fine. Some
0: Psy-Op news? Yeah. Why don't you give me some PSYOP news?
3: in the field, Chris Mounts? Another one of their men in the field. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he, he does a lot, too. Uh, man uh, pleads guilty for having sex with chickens while wife filmed it.
2: And I'm going to fuck it to death. Uh,
3: so uh, a man has pleaded guilty to having sex with chickens while his wife films it.
2: And I'm going to fuck it to death.
3: Rian Bag, 37, appeared in Bradford Crown Court alongside his wife, Halima, also 37. And this was on the 31st of July. At the hearing, Mr. Bragg pleaded guilty to a total of 11 charges, including three of purporting Act of pedic- penetration on chickens yorkshire live reports and i'm going to he fuck else- it to death <laughs> he also admitted to downloading indecent images of children while well, this just took a dark turn yeah i possession don't want i'm not going program- to make
2: any clips for that no
3: yeah possession of extreme pornographic images relating to sex acts with dogs and chickens and drug offenses
2: all right, so it's uh, funny up until we get to the point where he's downloading uh, pictures of kids, so it's yeah, no longer to, funny. Yeah,
3: no, no, now it's not funny. This guy's a, a real piece of shit. <laughs> uh, his wife, I mean, he it probably was before, you know, if he's fucking chickens. Uh, his wife had previously admitted to three charges of aiding and abetting in a course with an animal. Prosecutor, i to Amigo- to death. Prosecutor Abigail Langford told Judge Jonathan Gibson, Mrs. Bragg accepts filming her husband, Rambag uh, having sexual intercourse with a chicken. Mr. Bragg's solicitor, advocate Nick Leadbeater, said his client had accepted that he had committed the vile sexual acts, but he was unable to say exactly when. He, he asked for the sentencing hearing to be adjourned so that a pre-sentencing report, as well as a psychiatric report, could be obtained for his client. The court was told there would need to be inquiries about whether the three acts were carried out on the same day or over separate days as this may impact sentencing. Langford added the court may take to view that these are acts that have taken place on more than one day that would make a difference in terms of sentencing. Both defendants assert it was sexual intercourse, which took place on one day with these animals and that it was filmed on one day. So they're trying to get away from the fact that they may have done multiple day sexual orgies with chickens.
2: And I'm going to fuck it to death.
3: Ms. Bragg has pleaded not guilty to other charges relating to extreme pornographic images and drugs. Langford this is like traces said, of death fucked to porno. Kinda. Uh, Langford said that the prosecution would consider whether her pleas were acceptable. The court has released... Uh, the couple is released on bail. Holy shit. Blood juice. Re- fuck that. I would not give these people bail and they until their sentencing hearing on the 25th of September. These are not people who should be out on bail.
2: I mean, if you have kids' photos, you should definitely not get put out on bail.
3: Yeah, no. You, you really shouldn't. You should be in jail forever.
2: <laughs> or at least give some type of therapy and then another offense, maybe well, jail forever.
3: You could be chemically castrated. There you go.
2: I don't know how well that would actually work in some cases because some oh. of them probably don't function anyway. And that's why they're after kids. Well, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, you know, <laughs> either way, I mean, this whole entire article just took the episode for an even darker swing.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was just the chickens part. I thought it was just a chicken. <laughs> I thought it was a chicken. I thought it was, just thought a, it chicken. was a chicken. <laughs> oh, when will that not be funny?
2: <laughs> uh, when you actually watch the episode.
3: Yeah, yeah, because then you break down and cry.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Speaking of breaking down and crying, it's time to end the show, Matt. All right. <laughs> going to play the ending legion promo we're going to have a little bit more music that sort of fits in with this very dark and dour subject matter and when we come back we will close out this really psychotic
1: show
2: So I couldn't play Cannibal Corpse or Macabre or any of the fucking death metal bands that I love that write songs about serial killers and cannibals and weirdos and freaks that fuck chickens because Spotify. Fucking Spotify.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I don't get it. Why Spotify?
2: Oh, that's really where a lot of the copyright hits that brought the edict down on Legion came from first. It was Spotify and YouTube that we were getting a lot of these, but it was more Spotify than anything, because we're on Spotify. I don't know if people knew that or not. Yeah, we are. I I know that. Yeah, we're available on Spotify, and you can find us anywhere that podcatchers are, and, uh, you know, Bo worked very hard to get all of Legion into Spotify, and now we can't fuck that up, so we got to play this stuff that's a reasonable facsimile of the death metal I wish I could play.
3: Exactly. And you just can't, you know, you don't want to get in trouble. And (laughs) and sometimes you can't trust people to be fucking cool.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, there are bots that scrub the internet now that are clearly not programmed to be fucking cool.
3: Yeah, that we should program other bots to be cooler than those bots and they take out those bots.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I forced a bot to read like a thousand scripts and now it just committed suicide.
3: (laughs) Well, that. That'll happen. (laughs) If
2: you'd like to learn more about what I've forced spots to do, the best place to find that information is our landing and launching page, legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. So if we get Skynet, it's because you you did this. Possibly. But the only way to really defeat Skynet is to go back through our entire six-year back catalog at legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. <laughs> and that's the only place that you'll find out how to defeat Skynet.
3: That's right. The only way to defeat Skynet is to go through all our back catalog of shows.
2: The best place to find out how many alternative timelines you are currently living in while you are fighting Skynet is our Facebook group, Cinema Psyops. <laughs> What the fuck? Our Facebook group, oddly enough, remains the same regardless of what Skynight may have done in your past, Mr. Connor. So check out our group there at Cinema PsyOps.
3: It's all the same, man. What's your problem?
2: (laughs) If your name happens to be Sarah Connor, you can hook up with me on Facebook. I am Court PsyOps. Or if you choose, you can try and hook up with Matt. He is Matt PsyOps. But really, you should friend me if you want to live.
3: And he promises that he won't show up at your door, ask you for your name, and then blow you away.
2: <laughs> no, not at all. Actually, if your name is Sarah Connor, more than likely I may want to replay some of those scenes, but I'm definitely not going to actually hurt you.
3: Yeah, but if it's Sarah Connor from the second movie,
2: she will whip the fuck out of you. <laughs> and I will definitely need a safe word bringing it all the way back to the beginning of the show. <laughs> If, you, yes! if you'd like to email feedback to Matt and complain about all the kink-shaming he's done on this episode, Matt at gmail.com.
3: I'll take that. I did. I kink-shamed a
2: bit. I'm sorry, everyone. If you would like to email feedback to Court, court at gmail.com, you can also let him know that he's really making some things that you're not comfortable with sound pretty sexy.
3: Hmm, <laughs> Pushing the boundaries.
2: That's what you need. Yeah, buddy. You got an envelope? I'll push that fucker. Yeah, I'll push it hard. You can twit a couple of tweets to a couple of envelope-pushing motherfuckers on the hate-filled shit fest That is Twitter. I'm at Court underscore Psyop, and he is at Psyop Matt. Go ahead and add yeah. us about those envelopes you'd like us to push.
3: Yeah, we'll push all those envelopes.
2: Some of the envelopes that we are pushing are actually containing photos that belong on Instagram. I had no idea how to segue that otherwise. Uh, it, it is, is fine. cinema underscore psyops for where I am currently repurposing the memes for our people to share.
3: Yes, because there are memes, not just one person memes, and we will decide where the memes should go. We as a people. We as a people will all decide what happens with all the memes.
2: Usually they're placed into an envelope, which we then push across the desk till it falls to the floor because we're very much like cats.
3: Yes, because I mean, fuck it. Well, I mean, what else are we going to do? And catnip well uh, high on catnip
2: what what well if you're out there high on catnip right now push the fuck out of that envelope and kick the fuck out of this week and make it your bitch <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. You,
3: can you hear me? Yes. Awesome.
2: Good. All right. Um, let me see here. That is not the new theme song. i okay. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. That is also
4: not the new theme song. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh just having a little fun.
3: Alright.
2: Hello McFly!
3: Hello, McFly! I gotta have Can't time turn- to copy
2: it over in my own handwriting.
3: <laughs> Can't turn it in like that, McFly.
2: Are you recording on your side? I
3: am recording now. One, two, three. Alright. One more check. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry, we totally missed all that rad back to the future shit.
2: <laughs> no, I'm recording that on my side. I, I still oh, okay. anything that I catch on my side I include till you start recording.
3: Oh awesome. There you go, that's great.
2: also not the theme song. God damn it. (laughs) Motherfucker. Well, there's only one way you're going to get to hear it, so we better start the show. Well, finally. Yeah. All right. So you're rolling on your side. Everything's looking good? Yeah. Everything's good. Okay. Here we go. Year six.
3: Because I know a ton of straight men who call their wives mother. You know, (laughs) all of them. All of them. (laughs) I can't tell you. That's my wife's nickname.
2: (laughs) Well, that's for sexual and fun reasons, but.
3: (laughs) Oh, God. Whoa, whoa, that just grossed me out a little bit. Sorry, don't mean to kink shape anyone, but me personally, that's a, a hard pass. High on catnip.
2: What? What? Well, if you're out there high on catnip right now, push the fuck out of that envelope and kick the fuck out of this week and make it your bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck
3: well, you oh fucking no! <laughs> well done. All right, <laughs> and I'm stopping my recording now.